This is a Cake Media original production. Did you ever read Gone Girl, the thriller by Gillian Flynn? Or maybe you saw the 2014 movie starring Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck with that uh, memorable cameo by M. Rada. Well, I'll be exploring the bizarre saga of a real-life Gone Girl, Sherry Papini. I'm Abby Schreiber, host of the Cake Media Original limited series, Hoax, where I'll be taking a deep dive into one of the strangest true crime sagas in recent memory. It's a story full of lies, betrayal, and violence, along with a colorful cast of characters who include a so-called supermom, a distraught husband, a mysterious philanthropist, and a self-declared hostage negotiator. And it's the ultimate example that sometimes old cliches do actually ring true. In this case, life really does imitate art. But at the same time, the truth is, in fact, stranger than fiction. It was a mild 63 degrees at 2 p.m. in the northern California city of Redding on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016. The perfect weather for an afternoon jog. Sherry Papini, a petite mother of two with long, flaxen blonde hair and bright blue eyes, took advantage of the comfortable climate that day and decided to go for a run in the Reading area, where she and her family lived. While her husband was at work and her young children were at daycare, Sherry laced up her sneakers, grabbed her iPhone and earbuds, hit the pavement, and disappeared. don't know what was going through Sherry's mind that day in 2016 as she stepped out for her run shortly before she vanished. Maybe, like many of us, she'd been following the news. November 2016 was such a weird time in the U.S. It was still a week before Americans would take to the polls and elect Donald Trump president over Hillary Clinton. And the bitterly fought campaign was still full of 11th hour twists and turns that made many of us reach for a bottle of Tums or a shot of tequila. Or both. And that day, November 2nd, 2016, was a particularly weird day for the country, coming smack dab in the middle between when former FBI Director James Comey issued his infamous letter notifying the public that the FBI was reopening their investigation into Hillary Clinton's even more infamous emails, thanks to the discovery of emails found on disgraced sexter Congressman Anthony Weiner's laptop, and a week and a half later telling the public that, nope, in fact, no new revelations were found in those emails and nothing was changing with the case. Oh, good Lord, I don't miss those days. So maybe Sherry was thinking about the election. Or maybe she was keeping up with sports. It was Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, and later that night, the Chicago Cubs would defeat the Cleveland Indians to win their first World Series championship since 1908 and break the notorious curse of the Billy Goat. Do you remember that? Well, we also don't know what Sherry was listening to when she started to run. Maybe it was Closer, that song by Halsey and the Chainsmokers that was everywhere back then, number one on the Billboard charts that day. Or maybe she was into The Weeknd. You know, Starboy was hot on Halsey's heels, charting at number two. Or maybe it was Heathens by 21 Pilots or Treat You Better by Shawn Mendes or Side to Side by Ariana Grande and Nicki Minaj. Or maybe it was all of them queued up in a playlist. We don't know. But let's get into what we do know 
and start at the beginning of this wild true crime hoax. At 10.37 a.m. on November 2nd, 2016, Sherry Papini texts her husband Keith while he is at work, asking him if he's coming home for lunch. Keith doesn't see her text right away, but a few hours later, he writes back letting her know that he won't be home. Around 2 p.m., Sherry goes out for her jog, and around 5 p.m., Keith returns home from work and realizes that neither Sherry nor their two kids are there. After discovering that Sherry never picked the kids up from daycare, Keith starts to get worried. Less than an hour later, Keith calls 911 and reports that Sherry's missing to the county sheriff's office. During the 911 call, portions of which were replaying here, Keith clearly sounds panicked and upset that his wife is nowhere to be found and that she didn't pick the kids up from daycare, which would have been really unlike her. He immediately suspects that something bad could have happened to her. So uh, I just got home from work, and uh, my wife wasn't there, which is unusual, and my kids should have been there by now from, like, daycare. So I was like, oh, maybe she went on a walk. Um, I couldn't find her, so I called the, the daycare to see what time she picked up the kids. The kids were never picked up, so I got freaked out, so I hit, like, the Find My iPhone app thing, and it said that her it showed her phone, like, at our end of our driveway. We don't have really good service. Okay. Uh, not the end of our driveway, but the end of our street. But so just drove down there, and I saw her phone with her headphones because she started running again. And it's her, I found her phone, and it's got, like, hair ripped out of it, like, in the headphones. So I'm, like, totally freaking out, thinking, like, somebody, okay, like, what's just her? grabbed her. Okay, what's your address? Redding. What, okay, what's your last name? Yes. Papini, P-A-P-I-N-I. And your first name? Uh, Keith. K-E-I-T-H? Uh, yes. Okay. Did you go pick up your children? No, I'm going to call my mom and have her do it. Okay. What's your wife's name? I'm going to, like, knock on every door. Uh, Sherry. S-H-E-R-R-I. After Keith calls 911, law enforcement immediately start their search for Sherry. And the next day, search and rescue teams deploy all over the area, hunting for clues about what happened to the young mom. The police also check on nearly 300 registered sex offenders who live near Sherry, in the event one of them had anything to do with her disappearance. That same day, November 3rd, Sherry's sister Sheila and Keith's sister Suzanne speak to reporters with the Reading Record searchlight. Both women describe what an incredible mother Sherry is and strongly push back against any suggestions that she ran away. I should pause here and explain this for a second. Because in cases like Sherry's, where there's not a ton of evidence to suggest foul play, often law enforcement will explore whether the missing person left of their own volition or if they were abducted. You'll often hear law enforcement bring this up in the context of missing teens who run away from home. Here is a portion of the audio from Sheila and Suzanne's interview. The first voice you'll hear belongs to Sherry's sister, Sheila, and the second is Suzanne, Keith's sister. She was out for a run. This is very unlucky. She wouldn't leave her babies. There's no way she would do anything to disrupt her children's routine. You know, the, being that the phone was found and she wasn't on her routine, there, yeah, there's no way she wouldn't have gone and picked up the children. They're on, a very, they're on a very tight schedule, and she's extremely close with them. She's here with them every day gardening and doing projects, and there's, there's just no way that she would take off. As they discuss Sherry, describing her as, quote, bubbly or, quote, a beautiful light of a person. Both women keep coming back to saying what a great mother she is. Yeah, she's an incredible human being. Best mom I've ever seen. (laughs) 
I mean, her, her children, if you met her children, you just, they're incredible. They're incredible because she's such a great mom. She's so hands-on. She's, she really is the best mom I've ever seen. It's amazing. It's annoying because she's so amazing. <laughs> we call her super mom. During the interview, Suzanne makes reference to reward money that the family is putting together in an effort to speed up Sherry's safe return. A few days later, the story becomes national news when Keith goes on Good Morning America. You know, that daytime news show you and your mom probably watch on ABC. Keith echoes his sister and sister-in-law's feelings that Sherry would never have willingly run away and that she would never have failed to pick their kids up from daycare. Later, in an interview on November 7th with local station KRCR, Keith gives more concrete details about the reward money, pleading with her potential captors to release her. Bring her home safe. There's a $50,000 reward. Bring her home. Imagine you're Keith. You were just a regular guy, a husband and a father, and now you're on national news pleading for your wife's safe return, offering 50 grand that you've had to come up with. I mean, can you even fathom? His life literally changed overnight. And in the midst of everything else, he also gets scrutinized by the police because whenever someone goes missing, the first person law enforcement usually wants to talk to is that person's spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc. You know, it's a true crime cliche, but when a woman goes missing, police always, always zero in on the husband. And whether or not the husband is actually found guilty, I mean, think of all of the true crime cases that centered on him. Did you watch The Staircase? Either the original documentary on Netflix or the show with Colin Firth and Tony Collette and Sophie Turner on HBO Max? Oh my god, I was obsessed. I mean, that was one twisted story, and the whole tension of the series— without giving too many spoilers away, was this whole did he or didn't he narrative when it came to Colin Firth's character, Michael Peterson, and the question of whether Michael killed his wife after she was found battered and bloodied at the bottom of their staircase in their home. Speaking of Peterson, that last name has, oddly, popped up a few times on convicted wife killers. Do you remember the Lacey Peterson case? She was another young California woman who was eight months pregnant when she went missing on Christmas Eve. She lived in Modesto, California, which is a town only a few hours south of Redding, where Sherry and her family lived. Lacey's husband, Scott Peterson, was ultimately convicted of murdering her and their unborn son. This was a huge story back in 2002, and as a middle schooler, I remember watching the Today Show, or yes, Good Morning America, with my mom, and it seemed like they had almost daily updates about her case. It was really, really, really sad. And then, several years later, there was another Peterson, this time a guy named Drew Peterson, who was convicted of killing his wife. Now, Drew was a police sergeant in a town in Illinois whose fourth wife, Stacy Ann, disappeared back in 2007. Tragically, she has never been found. But in the course of investigating her disappearance, law enforcement began to reassess the mysterious death of Drew Peterson's third wife, Kathleen, who had allegedly accidentally drowned in a bathtub with bruises and gashes on her body. Hmm, accidentally drowned with bruises and gashes. Well, ultimately, Drew was convicted of murdering Kathleen, and he, like Scott Peterson, is currently in prison. And I won't spoil the ending to Michael Peterson's story for anyone who's planning to watch the TV show or documentary, but I highly recommend it. But let's get back to Keith. 
So Keith speaks with the police, cooperating with them from day one, and law enforcement are able to confirm his alibi. Both Keith's car GPS and his cell phone confirm that he was at work all day during the time Sherry disappeared. He also passes a lie detector test. Days tick by and Sherry is still missing. As Keith and the rest of Sherry's family and friends grow more worried and more desperate, they receive an extraordinary proposition. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Ugh, to say the last two years have felt like riding one big out-of-control roller coaster would be an understatement. Since the start of the pandemic, like many of you, I've faced so many transitions and challenges. From navigating changes in my career, changes in my relationships, changes in my living situation, honestly, it's hard not to feel overwhelmed when nothing feels stable. And I have to admit, I'm not always great about reaching out to friends and family to ask for advice or simply to vent. So if you're like me, it's often easier to open up to a professional, someone who can be objective and listen without any judgment or emotion. Talking to a therapist has been a great outlet for me to work through challenges and gain new perspectives. And BetterHelp makes therapy easier and more accessible than ever. I was able to create a profile, fill out some information about myself, and within 48 hours, I was matched with a therapist. I was able to schedule an appointment with her and select whether we'd be video chatting or speaking on the phone, which is something I appreciate because there are some days I really don't want to turn on my camera and others when I do need that face-to-face connection. I feel lucky because I really clicked with my therapist, but if I hadn't, it'd be super easy to find a new one because BetterHelp has a simple process that allows you to change therapists for free. So if you're navigating lots of change and transition like I've been, head to BetterHelp to find someone you can talk to about all of it. And they have a special offer for my listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hoax. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash hoax. As days turn into weeks with no breaks in the case, Keith Papini receives an unexpected offer. A wealthy, anonymous donor has stepped forward to offer an undisclosed amount of ransom money to Sherry's captors if they release her. The mysterious donor sets up a website, sherrypapini.com, with instructions for her kidnappers. In a later interview, the donor gave to Chris Hansen and his show Crime Watch Daily. You know Chris Hansen, right? He's the famous true crime journalist who hosted that show to catch a predator. You remember him. Anyway, this mysterious individual, who, by the way, remains anonymous to this day, explained what led him to get involved in Sherry's case. This guy tells Chris that although he lives somewhere else, he happened to be visiting Reading when he turned on the news and learned about Sherry's story. He was moved by the details and by Keith, who was crying on the TV as he said, we're going to find you, baby, to his missing wife. Here's more from the donor's interview with Chris Hansen explaining why he entered the picture. Now, since this person, as I said, still remains anonymous, Chris Hansen and his team have obscured his voice, which is why you'll notice it sounds kind of strange. It seemed to me that 
you know, here's a girl that, you know, has got two little kids and got a husband at home crying, and I just visualized what that life was like and felt like, you know, let's, let's see if we can be creative here. The donor alleges that after he pitched his idea to offer this sort of reverse ransom to the local sheriff's department, law enforcement officials, quote, basically threatened me. Deciding to embark on his plan anyway, the donor is able to connect with a friend of the Papini family named Lisa, who relays his offer to help to Keith. After Keith takes some time to consider this very unusual proposal, the two men talk. Here's what the donor says about their initial conversation. He was kind of half crying. He says, I've heard your idea, and he says, I'm, I'm ready to try anything right now. Let's pause a second and think about Keith. You know, it's been a few weeks since his wife went missing, and his life has been turned upside down again and again. It must have felt so surreal to be navigating what is likely the worst experience of his life, his wife's disappearance. And then he gets a call from some shadowy guy promising to donate a ton of money to help get her home. If you were Keith, what would you make of that? What would be going through your mind? You know, I guess as the donor alleged, with the days ticking by and Sherry still gone, Keith was open to pursuing wild plans, open to pursuing almost anything, even if his partner wanted to remain completely anonymous. On that note, in his interview with Chris Hansen, the donor explained that he wanted to remain anonymous out of concern for his family's safety. But because of this decision, he needed someone else to be the front man and help spread the information about the reverse ransom out to the wider world. That's when Cameron Gamble entered the picture. A Reading area local and self-proclaimed abduction expert, and he becomes the man deputized by the anonymous donor to speak to the media and negotiate Sherry's release. In video interviews, Cameron appears to be in his 30s with brown hair and a neatly trimmed beard that honestly wouldn't make him look out of place at a trendy coffee shop in Greenpoint in Brooklyn or in Venice in LA. But he lives in Reading, and in videos Cameron films and posts online, he introduces himself to Sherry's supposed abductors. Cameron tells Sherry's captors that they have, quote, less than 100 hours to return her and claim the money before, quote, the offer is off the table. So who was this guy? How did the donor find him in the first place? Apparently, Lisa, the same Papini family friend who connected Keith with the donor, had also heard Cameron speak about sex trafficking at a Rotary Club meeting, which is honestly very, uh, a very interesting scenario. I mean, just imagine a group of moms in a church rec room sipping lemonade, hearing about how to prevent getting kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. At any rate, Lisa then connected the donor and Keith with Cameron, and the trio solidified their plan. I've never really played any phone games until I decided to try out June's Journey, and I gotta say, I'm hooked. It's a mystery game where you step into the role of June Parker, a glamorous flapper from the Roaring Twenties who returns to her family's estate to investigate the murder of her sister. As June, I get to hunt for clues by solving hidden object puzzles. You know, those games where you find different things camouflaged within intricate scenes. I've had to search for hidden butterflies, keys, cigars, tortoises, seashells, and other objects in scenes ranging from an estate parlor, a garden, and even a photo of the crime scene. 
The more I play, the more clues about the murder mystery I discover and the more features I unlock. If I need a break from the puzzles, I can use the rewards I've earned to purchase items like fountains, a trellis swing, or statues to decorate the estate and its grounds. For me, June's journey is both relaxing and stimulating. I like to play in the morning while I'm drinking my coffee and before I start my workday. It gets my brain going without any of the stress that comes with reading the internet on my phone. Plus, it's fun to be solving the mystery at the center of June's journey at the same time as I'm diving into all of the clues surrounding the mystery of Sherry Papini's disappearance. June's journey is free to download, so go ahead and find your inner detective and download the game today. It's available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PCs through Facebook games. We're able to fill in some more details about Cameron's background from previous interviews he's given to the media. He served in the Air Force in the early and mid-2000s, and after he was honorably discharged, he's told media that he completed survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training, which seems to provide the main foundation for his abduction expertise credentials. Cameron set up various companies to market his skills in hostage negotiation, and he seemed to be trying to target a very specific slice of this already highly specific market by working with Christian missionaries to train members before they went on missions in parts of the world known for high rates of kidnapping. Various media outlets, including the Daily Beast, have investigated Cameron's companies and backstory, calling his credentials into question as well as his motives for getting involved in Sherry's case. But all the while, Cameron has strongly pushed back against any accusations that he was a quote-unquote ambulance chaser. Whatever Cameron's background and expertise may or may not be, the fact remained that the kidnappers never came forward to accept the ransom money before the deadline passed at 5 a.m. on November 23rd. But Cameron, Keith, and the donor did not give up. They raised the amount of money to somewhere in the six figures. The exact amount was never disclosed. And rather than offer it as a ransom to Sherry's kidnappers, they turned it into a bounty. Now the money would go to anyone who could help bring Sherry home safe. But early on the morning of November 24th, 2016, Thanksgiving Day, and before anyone claimed the money, there was a major new development. Attention Station 8, unknown medical problem. It's going to be a northbound I-5. Female needs medical attention. She is uh, heavily battered. It's going to be uh, some sort of an assault. We are ecstatic to report that Sherry Papini has been located and has been reunited with her family. This episode featured research and audio from several sources, including the Reading Record Searchlight, KRCR-TV, Crime Watch Daily with Chris Hansen, Good Morning America, 2020, Nightline, The Sacramento Bee, the Daily Beast, and the Mercury News. Hoax was created by Jessica Devine and me, Abby Schreiber, and executive produced by Elena Murdoch. It was written and hosted by me, with editing and sound design by Gus Hurtow, with additional help from Jacob Stein and Jason Rabinowitz at the Pop-Up Studios. Original art was by Keitha McLaughlin. Graphic and social media design was by Katherine Deck. This is a five-part limited series, We'll be dropping new episodes every Wednesday for five consecutive weeks. We'll also be closely covering Sherry's sentencing date on July 11th. 
We'd like to finally give a special thanks to our sponsors this week, BetterHelp and June's Journey. Download June's Journey for free and sign up for online therapy with BetterHelp. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com hoax. By supporting June's Journey and BetterHelp, you support the show. 